0: Let's go before the Lord in prayer and ask for his blessing upon his word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we bless you. We thank you again for your gospel, the message of Christ, of our redemption, of life freely given. Thank you for the testimony of the Holy Spirit in the scriptures. i just asking now for him to teach clearly and faithfully so that we may hear those who are appointed to hear the message. Lord, may You. Bless your people with the truth and knowledge of Christ. We honor you, glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. We finished the book of Hebrews, finished according to what the Lord wanted me to speak to, and now we are transitioning to the book of Ephesians. And in between the transition, I am going to do a couple of messages from different areas of the Bible to speak to some things that I wanted to speak to, but I have not had the time given the way that we've been having our messages. Hebrews, three days of the month, and Genesis, the story of Joseph, one day of the month. So that pretty much took up the time. So today we're going to be in Second Kings 4. 2nd Kings chapter 4 verses 1 to 7 where the Holy Spirit recorded for us and said a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha saying your servant my husband is dead and you know that your servant feared the Lord and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves so Elisha said to her what shall I do for you tell me what do you have in the house And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, Go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and the sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there's not another vessel so the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. And that is the word of the Lord, and it is marvelous in our sight. We have two titles for this message. Number one title, which is going to carry the message, is Your Servant, My Husband, is Dead. Your servant, my husband, is dead. And number two title is Elisha, the woman, his sons, and the oil. Elisha, the woman, his sons, and the oil. If you're anyone who has been listening to our messages for any length of time, you would know that we are about preaching the gospel from both the Old Testament and the New Testament. The stories in the New Testament were written by God to testify of something bigger than themselves. Everything that is recorded in the scriptures, that is not Christ, is testifying of him. So all those stories was God in the pulpit, preaching, and whenever God is in the pulpit, he has one story to tell the story of Christ, the story of his son and his work. The son who said the scriptures testify of him and in the volume of the book it is written about him to do the will of God, the salvation of his people. But we have to appreciate the matters of the gospel as God has taught and interpreted for us in the New Testament if we are to understand the story of Christ in the old. Many know the stories of Elijah and Elisha and their ministries, but we need to expound how God preached the gospel by and through them. And our story is about the works of God through his prophet Elisha. And Elisha was the successor to Elijah. He came and replaced Elijah. And for some background, this is what happened. Elijah had gotten in trouble with the one Jezebel. And hear this as we develop our message. First Kings 19, 1-3 And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying so let the gods do to me and more so if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So Elijah had executed 450 prophets of Baal the prophets of Jezebel who dined or ate at Jezebel's table. So Ahab was the husband of Jezebel and he was the king of Israel and had also joined himself to worshipping the false gods of his wife Jezebel. And so Jezebel was enraged by the death of a false prophet (laughs) and had threatened revenge to take the life of Elijah. And on hearing this, Elijah ran for his dear life. You see, my friends, people always get offended when their false prophets and false gods are called out or have been executed by the truth of Christ. You execute the false gospels by the truth of Christ and see how the Jezebels of this world will come after you. Okay? They will defend their false gospels And the false prophets with so much vigor that some sound like Jezebel actually ready to kill. They will kill you if they could. So verse 3 of First Kings 19 says, And when he saw that, that is Elijah, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. And it was when Elijah was in hibernation, When Elijah was hiding from Jezebel that God approached him, God knew everything that was happening. Elijah, having executed that many false prophets, was still terrified by the power of Jezebel that he had to run for cover. And that is a very crazy thing. Some things just do not make sense. Elijah is just proven that the gods of Baal, the gods of Jezebel, had no power, and that the God of Israel was he alone who had power, and yet he chickened out and ran at the words of Jezebel. (laughs) And when he went and sought for refuge at Mount Horeb, God approached him. First Kings 19, 9-10 And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Now, in this story, we have the commission of Elisha, the calling and commission of Elisha, First Kings nineteen fifteen to eighteen. Then the Lord said to him, "Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king of Assyria." God says to Elijah, "I'm the sovereign one," and so he affirms his sovereignty over the nations, not just over Israel. God says, I am even sovereign in the appointment of the one who is to be the new king of Syria. Damascus was the capital. And God is saying, you can't be afraid of Jezebel when you are a servant of the Most High God. He is a sovereign God who rules over all. Now, Elijah Get up and get to work. Go and anoint some people for me. Go even to Syria. Syria which knows not the God of Israel. But God says, go still. You go and anoint Haziel as king over Syria. And that to say, no one becomes president or king because they were voted in by men but because they've been appointed of God. Man do not put anyone on the throne. God alone puts a man on the throne. The Lord God rules in all the affairs of man. He raises and puts down kings as he wills. And so the Lord God continued and said to Elijah, verse 16 of 1st Kings 19, also you shall anoint Jehu the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill, and whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. So Elisha was to be anointed as the successor to Elijah. And in that, God also wanted to make sure that Elijah was not the only one left of God's people. God wanted to show Elijah that he was not the only one who belonged to him, one who was faithful to him. So verse 18, God said, Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. And this is what Paul draws to make an argument for sovereign grace, election, and salvation in Israel because of those of Israel, those of the Jews who were rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says this to Israel's rejection of the gospel. Romans 11 one to six. I say then, has God cast away his people? Has God cast away his chosen people? Certainly not. May it never be. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. You see, that's where Paul is getting that quotation from. It's the story of Elijah running away from Jezebel. And Paul uses that to preach the gospel of election. And says, God has not abandoned those of his people that he foreknew, those he for loved. But hear this, let's continue. Verse 4. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then, even so then, at this present time, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. <laughs> Even so then, as God had his remnant in the time of Elijah, even in the time of Paul, God had also a remnant from even Israel. Not everyone in Israel belonged to God. Not everyone in Israel was chosen unto salvation by God. It is only the remnant, the chosen one in the nation of Israel that belonged to God. And so Paul says, Even so then, in this time, in the time of Paul, not all the Jews rejected Christ when he came. Remember Pentecost 3000. Those were Jews. The first Christians were Jews. So the remnant of God in Israel, they believed the Messiah. But the rest rejected the gospel. Why? Because at this present time, There's a remnant according to the election of grace. So at any time in the history of mankind, there shall be those who believe and those who do not believe. Because God is in the remnant business. God is in the remnant business. He always has a remnant of his people who are according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. Salvation, even in the nation of Israel, was not about works. It was not about their law-keeping. It was by grace. God choosing and for loving those who should be recipients of the life and salvation in Christ Jesus. Okay? Okay. So Paul's conclusion was that national Israel rejected the gospel because God was not about serving the whole nation. God is not about saving the whole world, but only those that were chosen unto salvation. Okay, So Paul built that understanding from the story of Elijah as he was running away from Jezebel. So God was saying to Elijah, and even to us and every generation of Christians through apostle Paul, that he has always been about the remnant and that remnant is according to grace. It is chosen of grace, is saved by grace, not by anything that they did or do or don't do. God never meant to save all of national Israel, as I said, but only the elect in national Israel. Because salvation is only by his sovereign grace and election. So even when we feel like we have very few people left, it is not so. God still has his 7,000. We have not bowed the knee to bear or kissed his feet. The 7,000, the perfect number. It is not speaking to saying the elect only number 7,000. That's not the point of 7,000. It is saying God knows his people by number and he knows his sheep and perfectly so. He knows his sheep perfectly right to the last one. That's the point. First Kings 19, 19 19-21 going back to Elijah still at the mountain. So he departed from there and found Elisha the son of Shaphat who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the twelfth. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I'll follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elijah turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen, and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and he became his servant. So Elisha came and joined the prophetic ministry with Elijah, but the ministry of Elijah was passing away whilst that of Elisha was beginning. In 2 Kings 2, 1-15, to you can go and read it. Elijah is taken and the mantle and the anointing was passed on to Elisha. Elijah is taken up by God in a chariot. And this was the conclusion of the matter. 2 Kings 2, 15. Now when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him when they saw Elisha, they said the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. The spirit was now resting on him. It was on him. It was not in him. And they came to meet him and bowed the ground before him. And with that background, we'll go to the text of our message. We just have established that Elisha was a true prophet and man of God who had a long running ministry and did many miracles. If you read Second Kings, you're gonna learn a lot about his exploits as the prophet of God. But now we want to go to our text so that we can glean of the gospel in Christ. Okay? And begin in Second Kings four one to seven. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. A certain woman, a widow, who lived in one of the cities of the prophets, cried out to Elisha for help. In the time of Elijah and Elisha, there were cities schools of the prophets. And these were situated perhaps in Bethel, Gilgal, or Jericho. But the woman came with a plea, and a plea to Elisha was, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. Her husband had died, but he was a man, he was a servant who feared the Lord. Her husband was introduced to us as your servant. And that means a servant of Elisha. Her husband was a man who was faithful to the Lord. He revered the Lord. But now there was a problem. The problem was he died, but he died and the woman had a difficult situation the creditor was coming to take her two sons to be his slaves the creditor is coming and dispossessing me of what was left of me my two sons and by that she was saying she did not have the means to pay for the redemption of her sons for the salvation of her sons She had no ability, she had no means, she had no resources to satisfy the debt on behalf of her sons. (laughs) It was not uncommon in this time and place for people to take people's sons as slaves as satisfaction for unpaid debt. So her faithful husband to the Lord had died. And yet she was left in debt. The husband left her, left his wife, his family with a debt that they could not pay. How can such a faithful husband to the Lord fail to make good on the debt of his children, to take care of the welfare of his family, leaving his wife in dire straits or in dire need? Who is this husband who is faithful to the Lord, who is a servant of Elisha, but is unable to leave any money, any wealth, to redeem his own children from debt? (laughs) Those who follow our teaching of the gospel from types and shadows already know the answer. The husband who died and left debt that was not paid was the law. The law does not redeem. And that means it has no inheritance to give those who are under it. And yet the law is good. That is why the servant was described as faithful to the Lord. The servant was faithful to the Lord and yet he left a debt to his family that the family could not pay. That's the law, my friends. Romans 7.12 says the law is holy. The commandment holy and just and good the law is good and faithful to god to do what it was given to do but it surely was not given to give life or help anyone to pay their debt the law cannot help a sinner like you it cannot give a sinner any inheritance and that is the matter for which Christ was revealed to us, the matter to which grace was availed to us, that we may have an inheritance. We have been told that the husband who died was a servant of Elisha. And Elisha is a type of Christ who is the servant of Christ, who is faithful to God, but dies and dies without living and inheritance to his wife and children, it is Moses, it is the law, it is the old covenant. You see, the scriptures tell us over and over that the servant of Christ has to die, the law has to die, Moses has to die, Moses has to be retired. But men and women dig in their heels and say, no, you can't retire Moses. They don't understand this matter. They do not understand this matter about the gospel. If we are telling the truth on Christ, the servant of Christ, the servant of Elisha, though faithful, has to die, and so he died. The servant of David, Uriah, though faithful, he has to die. Uriah, a faithful servant of David, yet he had to die. Because he was not able to do something for Bathsheba, which thing David was able to do to bear children for her. And what happens when your father dies without redemption money to pay for your salvation? The creditors will come and get you. (laughs) The creditors will come and get you. There are no two ways about it. The creditors coming to get you, my dear friends, if you remain married to the husband, to the law who dies and leaves you no inheritance to take care of your debts, the creditor is gonna take you. Here, the law's teaching in Matthew 5, 25 to 26. The law says, agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary Deliver you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Agree with your adversary. Agree with the creditor. And in this, in this context, that is God. Settle with him on his terms. Agree and surrender to his terms of peace while you are on the way with him before you come to judgment. That's the point that Jesus is saying. Believe the gospel before you come to judgment. While you are on the way with him, lest your adversary will deliver you to the judge. You see, before you have been delivered to the judge. And the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer throw you in prison, and that is hell. The officers will be angels. They are the ones that will throw you into hell. Christ is the judge because all judgment has been given to him by the Father. Verse 26 of Matthew 5 Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. You will by no means get out of jail, no means get out of slavery, till you have paid the last penny. The question is, are you able to pay even the last penny of what you owe God God is the creditor my friends and he requires complete payment he requires complete satisfaction for all that you owe him he requires perfection in that payment not just your best effort or else you are going to be taken into slavery made a captive forever thrown into prison forever and that is hell my dear friends, your best works of righteousness are not enough to pay for even the last penny of your sin debt. It is impossible. That is why all this talk of, oh, I'm keeping the law, I'm keeping the law, is foolishness. It's foolishness because people don't understand the issue. They don't understand what this is all about. You cannot claim to do the law. You already by yourself or more than you're able to pay okay it is impossible to make a payment by yourself to the law you can't so the law is there to shut everyone to hopelessness it's not a lifeline the law is not a lifeline the law is not the gospel the law cannot be the gospel the law the gospel are two different things they have to be understood in the proper context Romans 3.20 Therefore by the deeds of the law no flesh shall be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law comes and tells you that oh you have debt that you owe. <laughs> and by the way you are not able to pay it. And by the way the creditor is coming and getting you. That's the function of the law. Romans 3.28 Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law if you're going to be justified before God, if you're going to be righteous before God, it has to be apart from doing the law. It has to be apart from any attempt to do the law. Anyone who is claiming that they're doing the law, they're lying. Okay? They're lying. They don't know what they're talking about. They don't know who they are, they don't understand what the law requires. Okay? So the woman is in a bind. She has no means to redeem her two sons. She is in a desperate situation. And that is the salvation question. For you and me to say, what shall a man or woman give in exchange for their soul? What shall you give? What shall you give even for your own sons? For your own children? What shall you give for their salvation? Because the credit is coming for them. What do you have? Remember the question by the ruler who came to Christ in Luke 18 and said, Now, a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? (laughs) It's a good question, but it's a funny question. Because if it's an inheritance, you don't do anything. To get an inheritance. An inheritance is given freely. You don't do to get an inheritance. An inheritance is given freely. But it's a good question. Because a lot of people think that they can do something to inherit eternal life. What shall you do to inherit eternal life? Because naturally you do not possess it. Naturally all you have is debt, unpaid debt. But something has to be given as payment for you to be saved, For you to have eternal life. For you to be called the righteous of God. And if she has no means to redeem her sons then it means she also had no means to pay Elisha. <laughs> if she can't redeem her sons then she has nothing to give Elisha. If Elisha says give me two jars of oil and I'll settle the debt for you and your sons give me two cattle give me five sheep and some goats ten chickens she had nothing. So if Elisha has to redeem the two sons it has to happen which way? It has to happen by grace alone and grace alone is God's message in Christ. My dear friends the creditors coming to take you away if you have not made good on your debt to God, America may change next year or this year, and it may not change. It may change for the worse, or it may change for the better, but that's not your problem. <laughs> that's not your problem. America is not your problem. The White House is not your problem. No one in the White House will save you. No one in the White House will answer this question. For you. No one. That does not answer your debt issues with God. The creditor still wants what he wants from you, whatever happens to America. And America has nothing to give a sinner to make them good, to make good on their debt with God. A stimulus check will not set a sinner free from God's judgment. Congress has been talking, the White House has been talking about another set of stimulus checks. You can't stimulate your way into salvation. The stimulus check will only pay for your credit card debt here and now and no more. Do you understand that you can't mix the matters of Christ with the matters of this world? They are not the same things. Forget your law keeping. You are already in serious debt and your attempt to do the law only increases your sin and your debt. Why shall a man give in exchange for their soul? That's the question. Why shall you give? Remember that your father, the law died and left no inheritance to redeem and so your attempts at keeping the law are useless. Hear this. So in Kings 4 verse 2 So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? Elisha said, what do you want me to do for you? Something has to be done for you. Something that you can't do, it has to be done for you by someone else. Of the stature of Elisha who was only a picture of Christ. What do you have in your house? What do you have to give to God? In your house, look around. What do you have to give to God? Nothing. But which house? The old covenant. That's the first house. What does the old covenant have for a sinner? Elisha came and said to the woman, "What do you have in your house? What does the old covenant have for the salvation of a sinner?" And she said, "Your May servant." has nothing in the house. <laughs> Your maid servant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. The old covenant of the law is the house that has a husband, a faithful prophet, and servant of Elisha who was married but died without leaving an inheritance behind. That's the old covenant for you. There's nothing Died without living an inheritance. But the inheritance of salvation does not come from the law, my friends. So to say the law is the gospel is foolishness. It is foolishness. The woman said your male servant has nothing in the house. Yes, has nothing, no pension, no retirement money, no savings account. What righteousness do you have under the law to present before God? nothing. Paul called his own righteousness under the law, lost and done. And that means nothing. But she said, the little that I have is but a jar of oil and it accomplishes nothing for me. It is not enough to meet my needs. It is not enough to redeem my sons from the creditor. And the Net Bible says this here in 2 Kings 4 verse 2, You May seven has nothing in the house but a small jar of olive oil. The woman has a small jar of oil and that small jar was not enough to meet her debt obligations. What did she say? She only had a small jar of olive oil. What does the oil stand for? It stands for the Holy Spirit or is stood for the Holy Spirit? And how much Holy Spirit or salvation does the law give to those under it? Nothing. Like nothing. Nothing. Under the law, the Holy Spirit did not indwell people permanently. He was among them, but was not in them. So if the Holy Spirit is not in you, you have nothing. The Holy Spirit was and is given to believers permanently in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit under the Old and the New Testament. We've talked about that for a few minutes. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. The promise of the New Covenant. The Lord God says, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I'll take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you keep my judgments and do them pay attention to verse 27. I'll put my spirit within you. I will put my spirit. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. His spirit. Which means the Holy Spirit was never indwelling people then. The Holy Spirit indwelling individual believers was the promise of the New Testament. The promise of the Father. I will, in the future, put the Holy Spirit within you. Acts 1, 4, and 5. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait For the promise of the Father. This is Christ Jesus after the resurrection with his disciples. He says, no, you wait. Why wait? Wait for the promise of the Father. The Holy Spirit could not be the promise if everybody already had it. Which he said, you have had from me. For John truly baptized with water. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And Jesus is looking Forward to Pentecost, that all his people, once Jesus has returned, you will bring the Holy Spirit to them. You will give the Holy Spirit to them to indwell. Acts two thirty three. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, that is Peter, giving his sermon on Christ, and having received from the Father, listen to this, the promise of the Holy Spirit. He poured out this which you now see and hear. And he was responding to the critics who were saying, those who were speaking in tongues were drunk with wine in the morning. And Peter says, no, 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 you don't get it. It's the Holy Spirit who is speaking. The promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. And that promise was according to Joel 2. 28 and 29 which says it shall come to pass afterward and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh your sons and your daughters shall prophesy your old men shall dream dreams your young men shall see visions so you see the Holy Spirit was not on everyone in the Old Testament even among those people he only came people like Elisha, Elijah the prophets to prophesy Verse 29, and also on my men's sevens and on my med 7s I'll pour out my spirit in those days. So you see, as Joel is writing or speaking or prophesying, he's looking to the future. And the future was the coming of Christ and the inauguration of the New Testament in his blood. John 14, 16, and 17. And I'll pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. You see, the Holy Spirit now comes and abides with God's people forever and that is making a contrast between the old covenant, work of the Holy Spirit and the New Testament presence and work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit in the New Testament dwells with and will be in all the believers. So Jesus was very purposeful with that language. The Holy Spirit shall dwell with us and will be in us. Because he was making a clear contrast between the Holy Spirit in the New Testament and the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And there was something very important. The Holy Spirit, a gift and reality of the New Testament on account of the death of Christ. John 15, 26. But when the Helper comes, that's the Holy Spirit, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, the Holy Spirit had to be sent to be in them. John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Do you understand? To you see the movement of things? Jesus says, If he doesn't go back to the Father, the Holy Spirit cannot come. But if he goes back to the Father, then the Holy Spirit will come in His place. The Holy Spirit will come and He will be in them. So the Holy Spirit was to be sent to them by the Father and by Him to come and indwell as testimony of the coming of the age, of the new creation in them, the new creation in Him. So being possessed of the Holy Spirit is testimony of the new age, the arrival of the new age in Christ, of the better wine in Christ. That's the better wine. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is the better wine, okay, in Christ Jesus. John seven thirty seven and 39. Let's hear if we are telling the truth according to Jesus and according to John. On the last day, that great day, Of the feast. That's the feast of Tabernacles. Jesus stood and cried out saying. If anyone thirsts. Let him come to me. And drink. He who believes in me. As the scriptures. Has said. Out of his heart. Will flow rivers of living water. Out of his heart. Will flow. Rivers of living water. So this is an Old Testament promise. That God will now give the Holy Spirit who is in the picture of the living water to indwell. And even in the conversation with the Samaritan woman, the issue again was the giving of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was to be given that he may be in the hearts of God's people and be the water that quenches all thirst. But here, this commentary by John, by the Holy Spirit, verse 39, but this is spoke concerning the Spirit. So John is defining for us what Jesus was saying. But this is spoken concerning the Spirit whom those believing in Him would receive for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. See the connection between the giving of the Holy Spirit and the reason why the Holy Spirit was given and the condition that had to be satisfied before the Holy Spirit could be given. The Holy Spirit could only be given to indwell under the New Covenant. In the Old Testament, He came and would go. He would come and accomplish a work and would go. was among God's people, but was not in God's people permanently. So Christ had to die. He had to be glorified for the Holy Spirit to be given. The Holy Spirit is given in the context of the death of Christ. The death of Christ is what opens up for the Holy Spirit to indwell all of God's people. Okay, So, one needs the Holy Spirit to believe the truth of God. But it does not say one needs the Holy Spirit to indwell to believe. See the difference. You need the Holy Spirit to believe But you don't need indwelling to believe. (laughs) The Holy Spirit is not electricity. The Holy Spirit is God. And he is sovereign and omnipotent and all-powerful. He is infinite. He is able to sustain faith from without the body. That is why the Holy Spirit is able to be in me and in you and all these people across the world at the same time because He's God. He's not limited by time, by distance, by location. Okay, So indwelling is definitely a benefit of the new covenant and I'm standing by that truth because there's just way too much text to support that. The Holy Spirit has many functions in the New Testament believer. But one of those functions, very critical, is as the seal, as the down payment and guarantee of our salvation. The reformed position about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is that he endured the believers. But here is the problem. There's no text that actually declares that. There's not a single text that actually says the Holy Spirit indwelt believers in the Old Testament. What you actually find is the very opposite. Also, that point in reasoning is hard to sustain given the overwhelming New Testament teaching. The Holy Spirit as the promise which means future. The Holy Spirit as indwelling as a promise of the New Testament, the Holy Spirit coming because of the death of Christ. So what you find repeatedly in the Old Testament was the Holy Spirit as being among the people as a community and giving abilities to certain individuals within that community to perform particular tasks, coming and giving strength and extra ability, but not indwelling. And I'll rest it here because I have many other gospel nuggets to glean from Elisha and the woman, okay? But I just wanted to mention that it will be a topic for some other day if the Lord will draw me to it again. And then I can actually expound right from the Old Testament and work a lot of the verses there and make a clear contrast between the Old and the New, the Holy Spirit in the Old and the New Testament, okay? But it is very important for us to make clear distinctions between the Old and the New Covenant and the giving and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Because really and truly the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is a distinctive New Testament blessing and reality. You could not read the scriptures and not see this. So even when Christ is introduced to us in the New Testament. As Christ is being introduced to us, what do we hear? John 1, 33 and 34, John says, John the Baptist, I did not know him. I did not know Christ. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I've seen and testified that this is the Son of God. See, the Holy Spirit was with Christ, was on Christ, (laughs) but he was not in the disciples yet. And yet Christ had the Holy Spirit and yet Jesus said, oh, let me go back to the Father that I may send the Holy Spirit to you. I'm like, Jesus, you already have the Holy Spirit with you right here. So pay attention to this. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Baptism by the Holy Spirit is the function of the Messiah. It is the function of the Christ as he is introduced to us in the new covenant. And he exercises this right, this prerogative in the new covenant. It is part of the validation of who Christ is as he has appeared. The giving of the Holy Spirit is a sole function of Christ. That's what makes the New Testament different from the Old Testament, among other things. And so that is why Paul would fume at the Galatians and say in Galatians 3, 2 and 3, This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit, and that is the Holy Spirit, by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Right there, you have a distinction between two covenants. The law and the hearing of faith in Christ. Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Every believer begins in the spirit, in the Holy Spirit. When they are born again, under the law, you begin by the flesh. And you end by the flesh. And you perish. Save for those who were the elect. Under the new, you begin by the spirit and you end by the spirit. And that is life. Those are the distinctions. And I'm done with that. Okay? So back to 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 2. So Elisha said to, to her, to the woman, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maid servant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. The woman does not have enough payment because she was married to a husband who could not give her a good amount of oil. Oil enough for herself and for her two sons. The oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit among other things of salvation. It is not the only thing represented in this context but The Holy Spirit is one of them. So the law does not give the Holy Spirit to those who are under it. Verse 3 of Second Kings 4. Then he said, go, borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels, do not gather just a few. Elisha instructed the woman to go and borrow vessels from everywhere, from all her neighbors, empty vessels and to not gather a few. And that is a strange instruction or command. The solution to her predicament was to go to her neighbors and borrow empty vessels. Pay attention to that. <laughs> go to your neighbors and borrow empty vessels. A lot of them. How is that even a solution? How is that a solution to his debt issues. She was to go and get vessels that did not have oil in them. That Elisha may fill them with oil. Who is this Elisha? Elisha is a type of Christ. As I already said. Elisha means my God is salvation. or oh, God is salvation. What is the name of Jesus? God is salvation. (laughs) That's the name of Joshua. So he commands and says, go all around the neighborhood and look for empty vessels and bring them here. Bring the empty vessels to me. And that to say, the empty vessels were empty. They were empty of oil. That is right. They did not have oil in them. And that was the condition for them to come to Elijah that he may fill them with oil. That was the condition. They had to come empty. The filling of the oil into the empty vessels was associated with enough payment and salvation of the two sons. Follow me. Follow the arguments. (laughs) What are these empty vessels that have no oil? Hear the teaching of Jesus. It is those who belong to Christ, as many as should come and be filled with oil. Those who have been filled with oil cannot go into slavery. They cannot be taken as slaves. Luke fourteen, fifteen to 23. We have a good message, my difference. The Lord has blessed us with a wonderful gospel message. Now, when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said to him, <laughs> This is what Jesus said to him. A certain man gave a great supper and invited many. Follow closely to the words of Jesus. A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. Verse 18, But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a piece of ground, and I must go and sit. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor, the maimed, and the lame, and the blind." Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor. Who are the poor? Empty of oil. Vessels without oil. No Holy Spirit, no righteousness. Bring into my house the maimed, which means part of the body completely damaged, not complete before God. If you're maimed, you've lost one of your limbs. You are not perfect. Even humanly speaking, you are maimed, empty of oil, no righteousness. These physical descriptions are only pictures of spiritual things. The lame, who are the lame? If you are lame, you can't walk right. If someone is lame, they can't walk straight. They can't walk straight. They can't walk straight. They can't walk right before God. So the sinner is one who is spiritually lame. They can't walk right before God. And also bring the blind. The blind can't see. And that is say, the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, have no oil. ha <laughs> ha. They are empty vessels. But those who made excuses had their jars with some oil. They had a different oil. Not the oil of Elisha, not the oil of Christ. They had the oil of self-righteousness. I'm busy. I have other important matters, important things of my life. I bought a yoke of oxen to test. I've bought me a field, Jesus, and I must go and see it. I know, Jesus, I've just been married. I have a honeymoon to go to. Even COVID-19 cannot stop me. I have a honeymoon, Jesus. I can't come and hear the gospel. I have my oil with me. And that is say, these who gave excuses were full of some oil. They were satisfied with their own oil, They had no need for Jesus because they were full. They were full. That's the point. They were full of something, but that something was not from Jesus. Not full of the Holy Spirit that Jesus gives. But Jesus says, go and bring these from everywhere. From the streets and lanes of the city who are on my guest list. Jesus has a guest list. And here is the guest list of Jesus. Again, the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. Which means empty, empty vessels. No righteousness. That Christ may do what? Bring the empty vessels to me from the neighborhood that I may fill them and fill his house with them. Christ is going to fill his house with those that he has put oil in. <laughs> Elisha says to the woman, verse 3 of Second Kings 4, then he said, Go, borrow vessels from everywhere. That is the same command as Jesus saying, Go into the streets and lanes and bring all these maimed people, lame people, empty vessels. Go, borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. Empty vessels. Are you an empty vessel? Are you an empty vessel? What is your gospel? Go and gather empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. And Jesus, in Luke 14, verse 22 and 23 said, And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. Do you know the kind of people that you find in the highways and hedges? Sinners. (laughs) Prostitutes. They are the ones who are found on highways and hedges. Jesus says, go to them and tell them to come. Tell them to come. Elijah says, go into your neighborhood and get the empty vessels. And don't just gather a few. Gather a lot and bring them into your house. So that your house is full of empty vessels. Jesus says, go, call them in, compel them in. And fill my house with all these sinners that I may fill them with my oil. So who are the empty vessels? It is the sinners who have no oil in themselves, but belong to Christ. Sinners who have been gathered to Christ, gathered into his house by the preaching of the gospel. What happens? What happens when they come to this house? These vessels have been taken into the house. Verse 4 of Second Kings chapter 4 And When you have come in you shall shut the door behind you and your sons then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. When the woman gets back Elijah says she shall shut the door behind her and her sons and then pour oil into all the vessels and set aside the full ones. And that signals the change from the old covenant of the law to the new. The shutting of the door when the empty vessels have been brought in and have been filled with the oil is the change from the old covenant to the new covenant. Because oil, picturing the Holy Spirit and salvation, is not given under the old Oil is not a product of the law. The Holy Spirit is not a product of, or it does not come because of the law. It comes because of the new covenant in the blood of Christ. And it's given under the new. So the oil is multiplied as it were under the new. You don't multiply oil under the old covenant. The oil is multiplied only under the new. Just as Joel too was saying that God will pour out his spirit and all the young men and women and old men and old women shall prophesy everybody will have the Holy Spirit in them. The anointing in them. All blood-bought believers have the Holy Spirit in them. They have the Holy Spirit. They have the oil. Here Jesus in John twelve twenty three and 24. But Jesus answered them saying, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it produces much grain. Pay attention to what is being said by Jesus. If Christ remains under the old covenant, which means he remains alone and does not die, he remains just one. And Jesus' point is that if he does not die like the grain of wheat that falls into the ground and dies, and when it germinates, it produces more wheat. So if Christ does not die and is buried into the ground like the grain of wheat and resurrects, then he does not benefit anyone. Understand me? So the death of Christ is what brings salvation to all men to all men as much as should be served. But if the one seed dies and produces much grain, it gives salvation to many. Right? You plant your field with wheat or whatever crop. If you have a good season, you always harvest a whole lot more than you planted. (laughs) Why? Because that is preaching Christ. Every good harvest is a preaching of the death and resurrection of Christ and the salvation that came by him. Whenever a good harvest, there's no hunger. People have food to eat. So when Christ dies and resurrects, guess what? There's a good harvest. People have a lot of things to eat. Salvation. So if the one seed dies and produces much grain to give salvation to many, so we see that the one small jar that had a little bit of oil produced a lot of oil and filled many other empty jars with oil. But it did not become empty. (laughs) When Christ gives the Holy Spirit, he himself is not left without the Holy Spirit. Let's work some more understanding. Elisha is a type of Christ. The woman is a type of Christ. And the small jar of oil was also a type of Christ. Hear what the woman did not say. The woman did not say, I have a big jar that is almost empty. No, she said, I have a small jar. The small oil jar was small. You need to pay attention to that. It was small, which means it was despised for its stature and did not look like it could fill as many jars as were brought in from all the neighborhood. (laughs) The small jar was so small that you could not look at that small jar and say, oh, You're gonna be able to fill buckets and buckets of oil from this small jar. No one would have looked at that small jar. No one in the neighborhood could have seen, looked at that small jar and believed the message of Elisha. That small jar despised. And yet it filled as many jars as we brought in and caused the salvation or redemption of the two sons. The small jar did not look like it could fill to the brim all kinds of empty vessels. You don't fill a big vessel from a small one. You fill a small one from the big one. How can you have two liters of gasoline and fill a truck that is a 50-gallon tank? from a two-gallon tank? How do you do that? And then line them up, as many as are empty, and fill them up. What is being taught? The small jar did not look like it could fill to the brim all kinds of empty vessels. And that is to say, the small jar was a type of Christ. That was the condescension and humility of Christ. Christ. Christ came in human flesh in the smallness of the jar in the weakness of human flesh and he was despised he was even rejected he was called names yet he had oil for the empty vessels you and me Christ had oil even in his humility he had oil to fill all the empty vessels my dear friends the small jar never ran out of oil for all the empty jars that had to be filled. It never ran out of oil. Christ came and gave the oil the Holy Spirit that wells up to eternal life. But he never runs out of the Holy Spirit. No matter how many of his people are to be saved. But when the door behind is closed, then it means the old covenant door is closed. We are now in the new. The oil is not poured into empty vessels as long as the old covenant, covenant is standing. So that door has to be shut. And the new covenant has to be inaugurated. As I said, the Holy Spirit is not poured in fullness under the old, but the new. You I mean. Amen. That's some good... Wonderful gospel nuggets there, I tell you. Let's go to verse 4 of Second Kings 4. Elisha says to the woman, And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. When the woman has come into the house, she shall shut the door and then pour the oil. The woman is also a type of Christ. And when she has gotten in the house with the empty vessels and the sons, she should shut the door behind her. You see, Christ remaining under the old covenant has nothing to give you. If Christ remains under the old covenant, he has nothing to give you. There are only shadows there. Okay. So the woman has to go into the house and shut the door behind her. Bring all her sons and all the vessels in into this house, into this covenant and then shut the door. Why shut the door? Because a better way has been introduced to them a picture of the new covenant. When Christ came and died on the cross he shut the door behind him and his sons the children that God gave him. Christ alone with the children that God gave him in the house and pouring oil into his empty vessels. Christ is he who does that. That, my friends, happened in the New Testament. But you can't get oil without squeezing olives. So the Holy Spirit could not come without Christ being squeezed by God's judgment on the cross, without Christ being glorified according to John 7, verse 39, as we learned earlier. So the oil was poured into all those vessels and filled, and that means no one has more of the Holy Spirit than another. What is different among believers is not the amount of the Holy Spirit, but the gifts. <laughs> The gifts differ according to the measure of grace given. That's what's different. Otherwise, we have the same anointing, the same Holy Spirit. Verse five of second Kings four. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and the sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. So it was the sons who went and brought in the empty vessels. Just as God now sends his preachers to the streets. And lands of the city to call in those who should be saved, as we land in Luke 21. You see, the sons who are sent to get the vessels also need redemption. So even I as a preacher who goes out by God's grace to call and collect the vessels. (laughs) I also need redemption. (laughs) I also need some oil. But pay attention to this. Pay attention to this. But the sons are not they who poured the oil into the empty vessels. The sons who were sent to collect or to gather the empty vessels from the neighborhood are not the ones who poured oil into the empty vessels. It was the woman. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is not given by men to other men, but is poured out by Christ. The Holy Spirit is given you and I by Christ himself. As a preacher, I don't give anyone the Holy Spirit. I only gather the empty vessels by the preaching of the gospel. The giving of the Holy Spirit, the pouring in of the oil, is only done by the woman. And remember, the woman is a picture of Christ. And so, the Holy Spirit is not given by men. Christ alone. Okay, let's go to Second Kings four six. 2 Kings four verse six. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, "Bring me another vessel." And he said to her, "There is not another vessel." So the oil ceased. When all the vessels were full, there was no other vessel left that did not have oil. You see, the oil did not run out. What ran out is the number of vessels to be filled. (laughs) The oil ceased to come not because the oil had run out, but because the number of vessels had run out. And that is to say, the salvation of Christ was fit and enough for only those that should have oil in them for only those that should be saved and normal. That is called particular redemption or limited atonement. Christ only died to redeem his particular empty vessels. Jesus did not make oil available to everyone in the world who has some empty jar. Even the foolish virgins know that not to be true but only to as many as the number of empty jars that were collected and filled. And the wise virgins were among the empty vessels that were collected and filled before the bridegroom came and compelled to come to him and brought into his house the new covenant covenant. Those given him by the father. The wise virgins were filled with oil by the bridegroom. And the, the foolish virgins did not know that. Okay. They did not know that. And as long as there's still one or two who belong to Christ who is yet to be saved, the oil shall not cease from flowing. And so we keep preaching the gospel and the empty vessels that belong to Christ will come and be filled by Him, filled with His own oil, not our oil. Okay? Second Kings 4 verse 7, that is our last verse from Second Kings. Then she came and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt and you and your sons live on the rest. After she had done that, she went back to Elisha and told him that all the empty vessels had been filled and that there was no more. The woman could not fill a jar that was not empty. And we have many jars that are half full that won't be emptied of their self-righteousness. Many jars that have oil some vision of oil very religious oil but they have not gotten their oil from the woman or elisha they have all kinds of anointing oils being given now in the name of christ and those kinds of oil are not the kind that pays for your debt they are not the kind of oil that redeems anyone from slavery they decided themselves to have oil. They poured their own oil. They came and met Jesus, their Lord and Savior. That does not come from the oil that Jesus fills. Unless you come to Christ as an empty vessel, unless you come to the woman as an empty vessel, with nothing in your hands, he cannot... And will not pour his oil. That was the condition to get the oil. I need you to, I need you to understand this. That was the condition to get the oil. If you are to have the oil, come as an empty vessel. Elisha clearly said, you go and find the empty vessels, not the half full, not the almost full, not the full, but the empty ones. So that God would fill them Himself and with himself. Elisha says, go and sell the oil and pay the debt and you and your sons shall live on the rest. Apparently, it was not the sons who had dead. Pay attention to that. It was she who owed the creditor because of a dead husband who could not pay the law that could not redeem But it was not her who had to go into slavery if the debt was not paid. The woman is the one who is in debt. But it is her children who have to be taken away if she is not able to pay. But if she is not able to pay, she is not the one going into slavery. It is her sons. So Christ was not going to live in hell if our sin debt was not paid. He would have been on his throne still. So if Christ had failed to make good on our debt that he took upon himself, we would have been the ones to go to hell. It was his sons that had to be taken into slavery, not the woman. Again, the woman was a type of Christ. So Christ is he who was made to be the surety of our salvation and that means he became indebted to the creditor, indebted to God to make payment for the salvation of his people, Christ Jesus to make propitiation or satisfaction for the sins of his people for their sin debt. It is he who was charged with the responsibility to redeem us out of slavery, So the woman sought to redeem her sons. The woman sought to redeem her sons. And that is Christ Jesus who is seeking to redeem his sons, his children, his church, his bride. Not because she would go into slavery, but so that his sons, his children would not go into slavery. The woman was doing it for the sake of her sons. Christ was doing it for the salvation of his children. So in Second Corinthians 5.21, Paul says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Christ, who knew no sin, was made sin, which means he became indebted to the guilt of our sin. Our sin debt imputed to him so that he would find the payment for it. Christ Jesus to make good on our debt. In that we also should live and become the righteousness of God in him. The woman was told you get the oil and make payment and then for the rest, for the remainder of the oil, You and your sons shall live on it. And so Christ Jesus made good on our debt. And for the remainder of the work of Christ, his life, we have our life. The woman went and saw the oil and it was enough to pay her debt. And it was enough to redeem her sons. And it was enough for them to live on. The sons lived because they were in the woman. The woman who poured the oil. They lived because of Elisha, who showed up with the solution, the power of God unto salvation, the man Christ Jesus. No more slavery for the sons, because the payment was found, and the payment was made, and it was made in full, and that is the gospel. Something was found to exchange for their soul, not their works, not their goodness, The debt that their father could not pay was satisfied for them on their behalf. What the law could not do, my friends, God did. We shall hear that soon. What the father could not do, Elisha did. And he did for free. And they were set free. What the law could not do, Christ did. So that there is therefore now no condemnation. To those who are in Christ Jesus. Who do not walk according to the flesh. But according to the spirit. No condemnation for the two sons. No slavery. No judgment. That means justification. Verse 2 of Romans 8. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Has made me free. From the law of sin and death. That is how they got free. The law of the spirit of life in Christ was coming through Elisha, was coming through the oil. It made them free from the law of sin and death that was sending them into slavery because of the unpaid debt. Verse 3, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. The husband of the woman, though faithful, even to God, could not pay for the salvation of his own sons. He died a failure. He died leaving his family desperate, in debt. What the law could not do. What the law could not do. The law could not help you. The law cannot help a sinner. The law cannot redeem a sinner due to the weakness of our flesh. And so, that husband had to die. That husband has to die. If Elisha has to come and help, that husband has to die. The law has to die. If the sinner is to be joined to Christ, the sinner has to die to the law. Why? First of all, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. The righteous requirement of the law has to be fulfilled in us by the death of another, Christ Jesus, by the squeezing of the olive oil. Apart from that all religion, even if it calls itself Christianity, is false religion. Anyone who says the law is the gospel is bewitched. <laughs> they are bewitched. There's no way that the law is the gospel. There's no way. The law is the husband who died and had no inheritance for his family, left the family in dire need of salvation. And unless Christ made full satisfaction for your sin debt, there's no salvation. There's no salvation apart from Christ, apart from his death on the cross. And the gospel is a declaration by God of a debt fully paid, of empty vessels, completely filled, and sons delivered from slavery. Sons delivered from prison. That's the gospel declaration. And that is speaking to the sufficiency of Christ in his work. When he died, Christ accomplished complete salvation for his people. And he gave us extra oil the Holy Spirit as a seal and down payment enough for us to live on. The gospel declaration is that Christ by his suffering was able to pay the debt that redeemed his children. And the giving of the Holy Spirit under the New Testament is God's testimony that the debt was satisfied, redemption accomplished, and that, my dear friends, Is the gospel mystery or testimony of Elisha, the woman, her dead husband, her sons, and the oil. And it is a good and marvelous gospel. It is a good and marvelous gospel because we are the sons who were supposed to be taken into slavery because of a debt that was not paid a debt that we could not pay. And God sent his faithful servant, Elisha, and that is Christ, and gave us the solution. The solution that came by way of the small jar. The small jar that enough oil to fill all these empty jars. The small jar representing Christ and his humiliation. And yet he brought salvation. My dear friends, we are so saved. We are so saved because of that small jar of oil. So saved by the foolishness of this gospel that gives us this oil. We thank God. The question is, are you an empty vessel? Because Christ will not fill a vessel that's not empty already. Okay? Praise God. Amen. We are done. Let us pray. Dear Father, Lord, we bless you. We thank you for this wonderful gospel nugget that if given us to glean from the story of Elijah and the woman, and the sons, and the matters of their salvation by the simplicity of the oil that was in a small jar, and the foolishness of it, and yet it brought their redemption and even sustenance. We thank you, Lord, for such wonderful testimony of Christ, and I pray that you bless your people, bring them again here, and cause them to hear the truth of Christ. We honor you, glorify you, pray that the testimony of Christ will continue to increase. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.